Hey everyone, Adam and I would like to thank all of you for listening and supporting our show. We've had tremendous feedback and we truly love being able to reminisce with you each week. In a couple weeks, we'll be taking a short break, but we'll be returning to our weekly Thursday schedule on September 10th. We have some exciting things in the works and we'll be announcing them when we return. So please like and subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow along on social media. And now, Twin Peaks. Less than 2,000. The podcast. I will admit, I had to go back and actually watch Twin Peaks to prepare for, for this episode. Sadly, I did not watch it in the 90s. I mean, we were too young for it when it first came out. It was 90 and 91. I, I wasn't watching a, you know, a primetime soap operas when I was nine. So here's the thing. I talk about my wife all the time on this show. The, the minute that song starts on the credits, it doesn't matter where in the house she is. She is rolling her eyes. <laughs> but it dawned on me as I listened to that and analyzed it through the pessimistic lens of my wife's eye that that song reminds me of the church song on Eagle's Wings. And he will raise you up. I'm serious. Tell me you don't see do, that. It starts do, off with like, and I will do, raise do, you do. up. You can hear it. You can hear. I can hear it. And now that you pointed that out, that's all I'm ever going to be able to hear. I've ruined I, I... the show intro for you, haven't I? <laughs> so Twin Peaks came out in 1990 on ABC. It, uh, it Was it eight episodes? Eight or ten episodes eight. the first season? It, it, it had never been done. Anything like this on network television had never been done. No, there was nothing like it. The, the, the slow buildup, the mystery behind it, the, 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 the colors, the tone, the feel, everything about it was really badass. Definitely. And it was a, it was a, it was a sort of a subtle parody on the primetime soap operas. This was a, this took that formula and took it to the next step with the David Lynch weirdness. It was, it was almost mocking it. I mean, it was almost mocking the, the melodramatic you know, mysteries that were on primetime. And that's, I think if, if you understood that, then you got the show. If you didn't understand what it was, I can see how my wife's reaction to that show would be. Because if you don't get it, you're not, you're not going to understand the show. The, the series opens up with all that quiet there's just nothing is said for several minutes, mm -hmm. and and that that fisherman Jack Nance, played by Jack Nance, comes up and, and sees something, and you don't know what it is. But then he's, you know, he, I believe he calls the police, and he's like, "I found her. It's Laura wrapped in plastic," and that sets the whole show off. Well, and I really appreciated the way the way the show opened because so many shows would want to give you all of this other backstory or or you kind of came in middle of a moment in this small town. So I think it was a shot at, at Dallas. Dallas, the big thing was who shot JR and that went on, you know, it was like a cliffhanger and all season long, you're all, all off season long, you're wondering who it was and there's all this speculation. Well, this was who killed Laura Palmer was the big mm -hmm. question. But that actually turned out to be just, you know, the entry point to the series. Yes, that is the overriding theme that, that brings the show along and, and, and kind of unifies the town. 
But that is just, you know, people's reactions to it and all the different personalities in the town. That's what the show is really about. Yeah. And the the seedy underbelly of, of American life, of small town America that looks so pristine and the white picket fences and all the, you know, America and apple pie kind of stuff. And, and then, and it's flipped on its head by the appearance of a dead body and all this uh, subversion of symbols and whatnot. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. How badass is the FBI, though? The FBI agent, <laughs> like he's <laughs> so great when he's recording the messages. Kyle McLaughlin is 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 perfect at, at as 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 Agent Cooper, and and, and he's, no one else could play him. I, I, nobody, I, he is the guy. And of course he is one of David, David Lynch regularly reuses the same actor. Well, he was in Dune. He was Paul Atreides in Dune. And and then he was also in Blue Velvet and Blue Velvet was the precursor to the show. 1986 is Blue Velvet that again dealt with the uh, seedy underbelly of small town America and what's hidden underneath the white picket fences and the shiny uh, cars is is this darkness that people try to hide mm-hmm. uh, under their makeup and what they project. And, and I think that really started with Blue Velvet. And and Kyle uh, McLaughlin 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 uh, is is a is a uh, just an excellent actor who just nailed that role. And you're right. Every time he's talking to Hello Diane. Diane, they've got really good pie. Diane, they've got really good coffee. And I was like, who is this Diane woman? My, one of my favorite moments in, in, the, in the first season is when he sits down at the, at the table to talk to some of the locals and he orders pie and he's just, yeah. he takes the bite of pie and in the, it just completely interrupts the other people and goes, oh, this is delicious pie. <laughs> The random thoughts like about the hotel that he's staying in, about the food, about the town. And then he's like, Diane, I think I might be buying property here. <laughs> yes. Like, it's so, so he's great. the outsider. So he's 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 the uh, the you know, the the audience's uh, point of view character, if you will. He's, he's the outsider from the town coming in to investigate this murder. And so he does give you that, that outsider's perspective. And, and it is, it's the duality. That's what the show is about. It shows the duality of, yes, it is a nice little town. As he puts it, um, Twin Peaks is the kind of town where a yellow light still means slow down. <laughs> yep. As opposed to the big city where it's speed up because you got to make it through it before it turns red. I, I, I mean, he is, he does point at the charming, the small cafes, the, the good wholesome American people. There's that other guy from the FBI that comes in and he just lets the guy have it for being a cocky. A- and he's like, these are some of the finest people I've ever met. And, and these are salt of the earth. And the sheriff is a good guy. But then there's all those bastards, including Leland Palmer. Laura's, Laura's dad is a yep. piece of shit. Yeah. Um, you know, the guy who's trying to buy the mill by, uh, you know, sleeping around and, and doing all these machinations and, and everything like that. Two things can be true at once. And I think that's what David Lynch is exceptional at, of that the dark and light are within the same thing, the same person, the same town. Everything has light and dark to it. And, and we, we mostly try to hide the dark and project the light. But he's so good at holding up that lens and, and showing us all the different angles to it. Very, very well said. And you know what? Now, you took away my smart point. So congratulations to you. I, I'm, I'm slow clapping to you in my head. <laughs> I think that's what's so great about that show 
And, and, and like you said, Lynch specifically is you do get to see that contrast because you can have beauty and dark at the same time. Cause that that's real life. It's like, nobody's always happy. Just like nobody's always sad. We have moments in life that, that we struggle with. It's, it's, and, and I think that's what's so great about the show. I mean, yes, it is. There is lots of murder. There is lots of seediness in the town. But then the FBI agent who sees all the bad stuff. I love how right. he in life sees all the good. He's the guy that should be pessimistic and like judging everybody. And instead he's celebrating everybody while investigating murder. Have, well, again, well said. So Stanley Kubrick and David Lynch are my two favorite directors by quite a large margin. I studied film in college. So I felt like enough had been written about Kubrick at the time. So I decided to write my final paper on David Lynch and uh, specifically Twin Peaks and Blue Velvet and Lost Highway was kind of the area I was focusing on most. Let me just go ahead and read the first half a paragraph or so. The world of David Lynch is a dark and ambiguous realm. It is void of easy answers, clear morals, and visual boundaries. Everything in his world exists only in order to contradict and undermine itself. He is, above all else, a masterfully artistic filmmaker with innovative stylistic trademarks. However, what sometimes gets lost in all the talk about visual and thematic weirdness is the fact that Lynch is also a talented social commentator with an amazing knowledge of American social and film conventions. He uses the accumulation of existing culture to turn modern life at the modern narrative on its head. He not only deconstructs the myth of American life, but also deconstructs Hollywood film and television tradition. He deconstructs the images and motifs of his own films, and in so doing, deconstructs the system of signification of American society. That is very well, uh, very well written, man, and insightful for such a young man. <laughs> so, well, that's 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 the academic flavor, you know. Everything's a deconstruction or a signal or signification. Yeah. But now the bigger question I have is. How come your emails to me are so short and curt and, and full of lack of information? Yeah, you're, you're good, good. Good question. Like your emails could could not be less poignant. <laughs> so, so good. Good point. Well, you know, emailing with you is not the same. I don't have the same passion for it as I do about deconstructing David Lynch. Ah, gotcha. I, I mean. That to me is Blue Velvet and uh, Lost Highway and, and Twin Peaks in a nutshell. He sets it up and then deconstructs it. And then each episode, each scene, it gets weirder and weirder and darker and darker. I mean, let's talk about the Red Room. I was just going to say the Red Room. The end of episode three. So we're, we are only three episodes into the, the first half of a you know season, which is only half season. And you've got a dream state where Laura Palmer is talking backwards in a dream in this red room and this little dancing little person who dances and walks around and snaps his fingers to that jazz music. And he's <laughs> super old. I, and he's super old now, the FBI agent. Yes, he's 30 years older and, and, and it's, it's, a, it's something in his subconscious that he's trying to work out the problem of who killed her. And I just, um, I'm trying to imagine being a 30 or 40 something year old parent in middle America and watching this shit at 8:45 or 8:50 on a, on a Thursday night or Tuesday night or whatever. I think it was Thursday night. This shit comes on and you're just like this dancing what little person and backwards this? talking and yeah uh, of course the, the Simpsons parodied it best uh, in the, the who shot Mr. Burns episodes 
the two parter. There's the, there's Chief Wiggum has the the vision, and it's just like the red room, and and Lisa's talking backwards, and like this suit burns a suit burns better, <laughs> and like and the flaming talking cards and all the backwards talking. And then there's another scene in a separate episode where Homer's watching TV, and it's a guy dancing with a horse underneath a traffic light and there's that jazz music and the guy says damn good coffee in twin peaks and damn good pie while he's dancing with a horse and homer's like this is brilliant i have absolutely no idea what's going on well and here's what i love what what lynch did he he then picks up the phone and says I know who killed Laura Palmer. Yes. And then it like it goes to the scene at the at breakfast the next day in the next episode and they all show up and they're like, "All right, who did it?" And he goes, "I don't know." <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I saw I love the end of that. He wakes up from the dream and he I know who killed Laura Palmer. No, it can wait until morning. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. No, (laughs) yeah, and then the new episode—it's the next morning—and he just goes, "I don't know." I don't know. But I had a vision. It's in there somewhere. It's yeah. It's it's in my. We just got to figure out what this dream is. So I, I mean, that's Twin Peaks in a nutshell. That's David Lynch in a nutshell. As he said, he he wanted Lynch used to say that he wanted to make his dreams move. He wanted to make his paintings move. So he's very he's he's he he himself comes up with a lot of his images from his dreams, and then he's a painter. He paints them, and and he wanted to make his his uh, his paintings come to life. I'd love to see as he's progressing in age something else from him. I want to know what his dreams are now. Good, yeah, good point. Like good I point. remember, I remember my, my my grandma's still alive, but she was in the hospital about ten years ago. And I remember I looked her in the eye, and I don't know why I asked this, but I said, "Do you still dream?" And she says, hmm. "Yes." I said, "What do you dream about?" And I remember she yeah. looked at me and she goes, "I always dream." that I'm about 30 years old, that grandpa's still, that my, my husband's still with me. We're all young again, and we're all at the house, and we're all together. And just that response was so, like, kind of powerful because it, it kind of, you know, she's 98 now. So, I mean, this is when she was, like, 80-something. And for her to have that sort of a response, you know, we never sort of, we never picture ourselves growing up and being old. We, we, we like, we want to stay kind of where we're at. Good stuff, man. You you, you got it. You got a, a, not just a smart point, but like a heartfelt point. Mulholland Drive was his best work. I, I think we can both agree yep. that that was the highlight of David Lynch's career. That was. Did you know that Mulholland Drive was actually supposed to be a network television series for ABC? No. ABC wanted him back 10, 12 years later to, to do a new show, and it was Mulholland Drive. And they were just like, no, we're not making this. Are <laughs> nope. you kidding me? The, Moving on. The cowboy. And, but could you imagine with um, Naomi Watts mm-hmm. in, in a television show like that? Uh, uh, be crazy. Uh, I'm not a big celebrity guy, but David Lynch is somebody I'd very much like to uh, talk to and meet and get to know because he does seem like such an interesting guy. You know, oftentimes the people who have created the absolute best art are the people that are in a lot of ways misunderstood. And I think that there's been no artist like David Lynch that really can have such a a wonderful career, have influenced so many people, but still in some weird way been very misunderstood. Because you have to look at his, his films through the lens of that 
youthful college eye, like the paper you wrote. Yeah. So his works, I think, will stand the test of time. And I think people will be talking about his style of filmmaking for generations to come because even though they weren't financially hugely successful, they are important to society. Very influential and very, very uh, important uh, on uh, to society and other directors. He's a director's director. Correct. Much like Kubrick, you know, influenced so many other people, including Lynch. Basically, Lynch has the balls to do what other uh, directors would only dream of. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that, that they that they would not have the the chutzpah to to take some of the risks that he's taken. And it 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 is amazing to me that he has complete artistic control of all of his product, projects since Dune. He insists on it. He will take less money. Is basically I I I read somebody likened it to he'll only let the other kids play in his sandbox if he has complete artistic control over what they're doing with the toys. You know, <laughs> that's such a great analogy. <laughs> He'd rather not 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 make as much money or as be be as a big of a director, but but be true to himself. Now that that comes with a, a a price because a lot of his stuff hasn't been successful. Like who's ever even heard of, let alone seen Inland Empire? His last big hit was almost twenty years ago, Mulholland Drive, which yep. was a canceled TV show. You know, he started doing the movie Wild at Heart while season two was going on, and co-creator Mark Frost really did most of the heavy lifting on season two. Well, season two wasn't nearly as good and tight as season one. First of all, it was 22 episodes instead of just this nice little eight. The ratings started going down, and then the studio pressured them to answer the, the big question of who killed Laura Palmer. They, they forced the creators of the show to answer that question. That's why mid-season it, it got answered? Are you serious? Halfway through season two. So how short-sighted is that of the... You know, this is what drives me nuts about networks. Lynch and Frost were darlings for the first eight episodes. They're like, wow, this artsy hit. It's the big... It's cutting edge. It's getting all this ink. The artsy crowd loves it. It's getting us exposure. It's bringing art back to TV. Well, the, the ratings go down a little bit in season two, and they're like, yeah, this just isn't working. Could you wrap this up? Could you answer the big question that the show is kind of centered around halfway through wow. the second season? I had no idea that the studio pushed them into Not that. Not even That's at crazy. the end of the second season. <laughs> you know, he did do a movie on this, mm-hmm. 1992's Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me, and that pissed off a lot of his fans. Because instead of getting more into, instead of being a sequel, instead of continuing the, the plot threads that had come up in season two of the show, it was a prequel. It was it showed you the last week of Laura Palmer's life. It, and, and Lynch, and it did not do well at the box office, Lynch still likes it. And he says, you know, if it's been a while since you watched it or if you've never watched it, Go ahead and give it a shot. It's probably not as bad as you remember. <laughs> I love I love when somebody's putting that disclaimer on it. Come on, give it another shot. I promise it's not as bad as you thought. <laughs> there's all that intrigue. There's all the cloak and dagger. There's always there's all the stuff about the mill. There's always everybody's got an affair. Have you you know everybody's like cheating on somebody else. Everybody there, there's like domestic violence issues. There's there's childhood you know drugs and alcohol and sex stuff. Uh, it goes into some really dark places, but it also has that like layer of offbeat humor to it. 
mainly through Cooper, but it's got that sort of just quirky offbeat humor that runs throughout the show. The true ensemble, uh, it's like a postmodern art house. I mean, it's, it's weird for the sake of weird. And, and, uh, I'm surprised it ever got on TV. I'm glad it did. It's uncanny surrealism. You see it now and you're like, well, there's been a lot of shows like that since then artsy and weird and dark and long form. But I mean, we got to, I keep coming back to, this was network television in 1990. Somebody that's in the, like young, that's in the Netflix era would have no concept of what it would be like to be flipping through (laughs) channels and then seeing this show on television. (laughs) 